I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This morning, learning from their example, a study in the book of Judges is what we're going to look at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, even of upon whom the ends of the world are come. You know, when we study the, the Word of God, we realize quickly that during this present dispensation of the grace of God that, that the church is not spiritual Israel. One of the gravest mistakes people make is, as they study God's Word is they try to make the church that exists today uh, spiritual Israel. We know that in order to understand the Scriptures, that you have to rightly divide the word of truth. We understand that we're under a separate and distinct program than what the nation of Israel was under as God worked with this peculiar people, this nation of priests. We know that we're under a totally different program today that we are to proclaim those Pauline distinctives. We are to understand that special revelation, that mystery that was given to the, the Apostle Paul, and we understand those distinctions. But we would be foolish, folks. We would be absolutely foolish not to recognize and apply biblical lessons, biblical principles that are contained throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And as instructed, we need to see certain things that happen in the Old Testament as examples for us, not only of what to do, but what not to do when it comes to living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want us to look at, uh, at those scriptures and recognize those principles, lest that we should fall into the same trap as some of these folks did back then. A uh, couple of the lessons just to point out and throw out at you real quick so that as we go through this, you can go, you know, there's lesson number one. Yeah, there's lesson number two. There's lesson number three. Lesson number one is you don't compromise with the world. You don't become so infatuated with the world that you embrace the world, and it's the world's purpose that you follow. It's the world's agenda that you follow. You don't 
compromise with the world. The second thing is that we keep God first in our lives. We recognize that He and He alone is foremost in our lives, in our walk, and in our desire to serve. We don't put Him on the back burner. We don't act as if He's not the most important thing in our lives. God is not someone we take off the back burner on Sunday morning as we get dressed up and we head to church. When Christ, who is our life, we're ever to be mindful of that fact, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with Him in glory. He is our life, and we're to live our lives with that understanding. The third thing that I think is so very important as we look at the book of Judges here in a few moments is that we are to train up our children to honor and to love God. Do not neglect your children's spiritual upbringing. And that goes for your, grand, your grandmamas and your granddaddies also. We take an active role in our grandkids. We need to let them all observe our faith, our trust in Christ, and our reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is important to you will be important to your children. You understand that, right? What's important to you will be important to your children. You teach your kids to love God because I guarantee you the world will teach them not to love God. Either not to love God or go searching after false gods. So it's important that we raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So this morning I want us to consider the state of Israel during the time of the judges. For God's people went after strange gods after just one generation. Just one generation. The previous generation. Uh, you, you study the book of Joshua and you see the fidelity, the fidelity they had to God. You see the godly leadership. You see how they trusted God's promises and they saw the hand of God working in their lives and they, they witnessed it firsthand and they served God. When you do a comparison between what was going on in the book of Joshua and in the book of Judges, it's extremely telling. But after one generation... These children forgot what their parents and their grandparents had learned and they got involved with all the false gods and went a-whoring, God's word says, after those, after those gods. They were enticed by worldly pleasures, by fleshly desires, and they went a-whoring after those strange gods. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, we are to understand, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is said today, to, as Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, it could have just as easily been said to this group during this time of Judges. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? Boy, is that not a lesson for the church, the body of Christ today to embrace, to understand, and to live. i got to tell you, about the only times in my life when I blew it 
And I got into trouble and got mixed up as when you get into business dealings or you get into even ministry with unbelievers. You're looking for heartache. You're looking to witness heartache and difficult times. It, it's happened, it happens every time. There's a reason God's Word says, be ye not unequally yoked together. That's not just in marriage, but also in business dealings. Doesn't mean we're not to share the gospel with unbelievers. Yeah, we, involve our, we get involved in their lives so that we can point them to Christ. But when it comes to business dealings and when it comes to, to uh, close relationships, I'm telling you, you're playing with fire. You're going against God's, God's Word. And that's exactly what this next generation did in Judges. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, basically tells us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And boy, here in the, verse, in the book of Joshua, uh, Judges, they were seeing that. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. See, again, that's why we, we hide God's Word in our heart. So when these different situations come up, those scriptures pop into our mind. That we feast on God's Word to the point, we feed on God's Word to the point that whenever we get into these situations and, and, and things come into our lives, it is Scripture that just bathes those things. During, our, during that time. But as we look at the book of, of Judges this morning, we're going to look at the cycle of rebellion that continued to take place. And it was so obvious there were about, well, there were seven judges during this time. It covered over a 350-year period. And what you would see is you would see a cycle of rebellion, then retribution, then repentance, then restoration, then rest, and rebellion. Things would get easy, and all of a sudden, boom, there would be the rebellion again. It would go from rebellion to retribution, to repentance, to restoration, to rest, to rebellion. It just went on and on and on. Somebody said, well, no, it's kind of like sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, silence, then sin, servitude, supplication, silence, over and on and on and on again. And God would raise up these judges to deliver his people as they would cry out. So this morning, turn with me to the book of Judges. And as you turn to the book of Judges, I want to remind you what takes place at the end of the book of Joshua. At the end of the book of, of Joshua, in chapter 24, especially verse 24, we find that there is victory. We find that Joshua is releasing. They have crossed over to the Jordan. They are occupying the land that God gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that promised land. They are occupying it, that land that they are inheriting. They are to spread out, and they are to claim that land as their own, for God had given it to them years and years before. And look what happens. Look what happens. In Judges chapter 1, God tells them 
to drive out those wicked inhabitants that are there. And let me tell you, you look up wicked in the dictionary and the things that these people were doing, even to the point of demonic oppression and uh, extreme demonic evil that was going on. But it opens, uh, uh, Joshua closes with God's instruction for them to occupy the land and to drive out the inhabitants. And so they spread out the, that, that older generation, and they spread out. Look at Joshua 1, 28. Joshua 1, 28. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Oops. But that's not what God told you to do. Look at verse 30. Neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Look at verse 31. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab. On and on it goes. Look at verse 32. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Look at verse 33. Neither did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants. They didn't do what God told them point blankly to do. So it shouldn't surprise us, in the second chapter of Judges, we have God telling them he's going to do something. As a matter of fact, God had already told them to drive them out. This is your land. See, God knows what evil lurked there with those people of the land. They worshipped Baal. They worshipped Astaroth. And we're not even going to get into, in mixed company, what all that entailed. But I can tell you, it was filthy. It was sexually in nature. And it was devastating to, these, to, uh, to the nation of Israel. Because they saw what was going on and were drawn to, to that debauchery. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgad to Bosham and said, I made you to go out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw them out and you shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And folks, I'm going to tell you there's a spiritual principle here that if there are things in your life that you know God's word is opposed to, that God's word says you shouldn't do this, yet you continue to do that, after a while, God is going to allow that to be a snare. Just as these nations were a test to the nation of Israel, we need to be aware. We, and that's what God was going to use them. Verse 5, or verse 4, And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spoke these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and they wept, and they called the name of that place Boshem, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. This was the older generation. This is the ones who recognize, oh, we've sinned against God. God, forgive us. They repented of that. Verse 6, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went 
every man into his inheritance to possess the land. But as we just said in the last part of Joshua, they didn't do what God told them to do. And drive out the inhabitants. Drive out those, that in, those inhabitants. They're going to be a bad influence on you. They're going to drag you down. They're going to cause you to do things that are not pleasing to God. They're gonna, they, you're going to see some of their worship and some of the things that they do. And it's going to entice you. And it's not going to be good for you. Drive them out. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord and he did, that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of the inheritance in Timonathras and in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaiash. And all that generation were gathered into their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They didn't know. Why didn't they know? I'll tell you why they didn't know. Their predecessors, their fathers, had not shared that truth with them the way they were supposed to. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 God made it clear to the nation of Israel. He made it clear to the people that they were to, to teach those truths to their children. That everything that, that they learned of God, they were to teach their children. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, you're to share the Word of God with your children so that they learn the truth of what God expects. But, you know, I'm sure, because it happens today, so I'm sure it happened back then, that some of these people said, well true but we want our kids to make that decision for themselves i'm telling you something folks there is not a more dangerous lie that a parent can believe in all the world that i just well i want my children to to decide for themselves i want my children to to make that decision whether they want to go to church, whether they want to serve God, whether they want to love God, whether they want to even believe in God. I want my children to make that decision on their own. Let me tell you something, folks. You are setting your kids up for destruction. You might as well, you know, I never said, you know what, I, I want my kids to decide on their own whether they want to jump off that building or not. I, wanted, I want my kids to decide on their own whether or not they want to eat that strychnine. You see how foolish that is? Boy, children, they need leadership. They need guidance. They need to know what's important. They need to know what is safe. They need to know what is precious to us because we want that same to be precious to them. So that's, that's what's going on here. Those false gods, the world was saying, hey, come over here. It's, hey, our God's a whole lot more fun then you're God. And from a fleshly, sexual practice, everything they did had those overtones. And they fell into that trap 
And that trap was so destructive. Verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them. And they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Actually, no peace in Israel. See, God had already told them, and, and, when we, and we're getting ready to look at Gideon. I mean, we could have picked any of those judges out. But we're going to look at Gideon. And it's in Gideon where we find that he... He gives God the name Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah our peace. But there was no peace. Why? Because they had turned their back on the true and living God. See, God had already promised that I'm going to be your Jehovah Rufika in Exodus 19. I will be the God who heals you. I will be the Lord who heals you if you do this, 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 and this. God made it quite plain. When he dealt with Abraham and he supplied that need that Abraham had there at the offering of Isaac, we come across the name Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah who meets your need, Jehovah who sees the future, who knows the future, therefore he knows what your need is going to be before that point in history ever occurs, he is Jehovah Jireh. The one who sees. It's literally what that means. And that because he sees it, he provides for it. But we're going to see Israel not enjoying all of those promises. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin. Verse 16. Well, verse 15. And whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. And it's their own fault. It's not what God had promised, unless they disobeyed. Hey, that's one thing God is. He's a God who keeps His promises, amen? And God says, if you if you serve me, if you are faithful, if you obey my law, ooh, I'm telling you, you are going to be so blessed. But there's the other side of that. And Israel was experiencing the other side of that. Verse 17, And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, and they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them even though God was agitated, even though God 
was upset over Israel's conduct. When they cried out, he still raised up a judge. He still raised up someone to be their, their defender. Verse 20, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because that this people have transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers and have not hearkened unto my voice. And time after time after time, through the whole book of Judges. But you need to understand, it's not just the 350 years of the book of Judges. It was 740 years after this that Hosea, talking to the same people, said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge mean E equals MC squared. It means that the, what knowledge? The word of God. This knowledge. Hosea, almost a thousand years later, was still saying these same people are destroyed. They're about to go into captivity. They're about to receive the punishment that God's going to bring upon them because of uh, with Assyria. They are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of understanding God's word. Not long after the judges, remember you had, judge, you had Samuel as the last judge. God raises up Samuel. And then with Samuel, who the nation of Israel came to and said, give us a king, give us a king, we want a king. And so Saul became the king. And then after Saul, God raised up the king, the man that was after his own heart, the man that he was going to make king to begin with, except they demanded Saul. They looked on the outward, but God looked on the inward. It was, it was David that was going to be the king eventually. God was using judges up to that point. But because Israel demanded, God said, okay, you want a king? And we know how that turns out. But it's Solomon. There was Saul, David, then Solomon. That says something very interesting. Uh, not many years, uh, maybe a hundred years after this judge's part. It's, it's uh, Solomon that says in Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs 29, 18. And we've talked about this many times. But you kind of see this route that Israel is taking. And, and uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says... Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now, where there is no vision is not talking about, as we've discussed, seeing into the future and saying, okay, well, you've got to have plans, you've got to have a vision. No, where there is no vision, in other words, where there's no revelation, literally, where God is not speaking, the people perish. The word perish there literally is cast off restraint. Where God's word is not proclaimed, where God's word is not preached, and, and if you don't believe this, just read the newspaper uh, today when you get home. Where God's word is not preached, where God's word is not proclaimed, the people cast off restraint. You know what the, the, the last verse in the book of Judges kind of sums up everything that was going on and what the problem was. The last verse in Judges says, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 
Ooh, I'm telling you, you want trouble. Let every man do that which is right in his own eyes. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's trouble. And, in, and Judges says the same thing. I think it's 17.6. Yeah. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You can't do that. You need God's word. You need God's word. Quickly, Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at one of the, one of the judges. A man by the name of Gideon. You know, we know him from the, what God's word tells us about him. He's the one that puts the fleece down and says, Lord, if you really want me to do this, uh, I'm going to put this fleece out on the ground and in the morning have all the, the, the ground be dry, but the fleece being wringing wet with water. So the next morning he came and looked, and sure enough, the fleece was just, I mean, he just, he was able to get a lot of water out of that fleece, but all the ground was dry. Now, Gideon, I think, did something foolish, but God went along with it. He said, Lord, you know, be merciful, but Lord, I, okay, you, you did that, the fleece is wet, let's see you do the opposite. So the next morning, the fleece was going to be dry, and all the ground was going to be wet. And sure enough, that's exactly what, what it was. And he said, all right, God, I, I believe you are the Lord. That's this guy. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of, the, of Midian seven years. In other words, no peace, no peace at all. They had compromised. Israel had lost their testimony. They adopted the world standards. They did not maintain their distinct nature of what God had called them to be. And so there is no peace. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and because of the Midian, Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Wait a minute. You are the children of God. You have entered into this covenant relationship with God. Here are these Midians. They were nothing but nomads. They just went from place to place to place. But boy, they're faring much better than you are, Israel. We're, your home is not... God has given you that land that's flowing with milk and honey. God has promised you, here are these Midianites, and you're living in caves. You're living in dens in the, in the rocks. You are in hiding. And so it was when Israel had sworn that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. By the way, Israel was told to annihilate the Amalekites, and they didn't do it. So they're not sure if the Amalekites aren't going to destroy them. Verse 4, And they came and encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth 
till thou came into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkeys. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. By the way, you realize the Midianites said the same thing about Israel when they came into the land? They're like grasshoppers. There's so many of them, but it's been switched around, totally switched around. For both they and their cattle were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it, and Israel was greatly impoverished. Wait a minute. It was back in in Genesis, chapter 22, I think verse 14. where God proclaims him Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah who's going to meet your need. What in the world are we doing listening, reading that here Israel was greatly, greatly impoverished. There was no sustenance for Israel. Don't you serve Jehovah Jireh? Don't you serve Jehovah Rophika? Don't you serve Jehovah Shalom? That's what sin will do. This is what sin will do. They still had that covenant relationship with God. But those blessings, that strength, was causing their lives to be miserable. Verse 6, And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Finally, finally, they they cry unto the Lord. Of course, we see that they'd already done this with the the judges before that too. Remember the rebellion, then the retribution, then the repentance, they cry out. It says here that they cried out unto the Lord. But you know what's interesting about that? Here they cry out to the Lord because of all that's going on. And we're going to see in just a second, God raises up Gideon, and boy, is he a faithful judge. And he does exactly what God tells him to do. He says, he tells Gideon, I want you to go to your father's house, your father's house, and I want you to tear down his altar to Baal. I want you to tear down his groves that worship Ashtoreth. I want you to... this, do it for your, your fathers. That was a good start. Now, here they are crying out to the Lord, but look at verse 30. They cried out to the Lord, Lord, save us. These Midianites are too much. And so Gideon does exactly what God tells him to do. Look at verse 30. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, that was Gideon's father, bring out your son that he may die. Why are they going to kill him? He cut down my groves. He broke up our altar to a false god. Bring out your son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. They're crying out to God while they're worshiping false gods, and they're not understanding why are we in this mess. Man, I tell you what, if anybody needs to preach a message in Washington, D.C., this would be a start. You've forsaken God. 
We ask God's blessing. We sing, God bless America, and then we do things that are atrocious. And we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing? Why aren't you blessing? Even Gideon's going to ask God that in just a second. But they cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet. He didn't send a judge right away. He sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you from Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you. I drove them out from before you. I gave you their land, and I said unto you, I am Jehovah, your almighty God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Look at Exodus 19.5 real quick. Just to kind of tell you where God's coming from. Look at Exodus 19.5. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be, a king, be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Did you catch that first part? If you will obey my voice indeed. Well, they weren't. So there are problems coming. So God sent a prophet. And the prophet, with boldness, courageous, spoke the words of God. And there came an angel of the Lord and said under an oak which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the uh, Abizarite and his son Gideon. You know, by the way, the name word Gideon means cut her down. Cut her down. And that's exactly what Gideon's going to do. And threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So in secret, in hiding, he's trying to crush crush wheat, process wheat for his family. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now, this is so important for us to understand. Gideon had not raised a horn, he had not raised a sword. What Gideon was doing was he was hiding, trying to make enough wheat to feed his family. He's trying to do it in secret so that none of the Midianites would see him. And God comes along, and I don't think God was being facetious. I think God was seeing Gideon for who Gideon actually is. See, and that's the way God sees us. He sees us how he can use us and what he knows us to be. And he knew that Gideon was a mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't know he was a mighty man of valor, but God does. He knew what was going to happen. And so he proclaims Gideon to be a mighty man of valor. Verse 13, and Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Well, the prophet had just told him, Sin evil that what's first commandment 
What's the very first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is all this about? Having other gods before him. Gideon, don't be so foolish. Don't be so dumb. Because of evil. The consequences of sin and rebellion against God is exactly why they were suffering. And then we see all that God does with Gideon and how Gideon continues to, to, to test God and say, okay, God, I, but, okay, I, I, need, I need for you to prove I'm going to go and, and I'm going to prepare a meal. You know, the angel of the Lord came and sat down and he said, Gideon, I want you to be my judge. I'm going to use you. And Gideon says, well, well, wait right here. I, I'm not sure that you are who you say you are. I'm going to go. And you don't realize how long it takes to, to prepare a goat and, and, and get supper ready? He couldn't, run, he couldn't get swans or somebody else. He, it, this was going to take a while. So it shows you how patient the Lord is as he's sitting there. And finally Gideon comes back and he brings this meal and the angel of the Lord says, put it on that rock. And Gideon puts it on that rock, and the Lord takes his staff, and he goes, Poof, and it's consumed. And Gideon goes, oh, ho, ho, ho. that's a paraphrase. And Gideon just goes, you are God. And so God uses Gideon in a mighty way, and the first thing he tells Gideon Verse 22, and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, O Jehovah Elohim, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you, fear not, thou shalt not die. And then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. And to this day it is yet an Ophrah of the uh, Abizarites. See, this is the first time we're introduced to this name for Jehovah. It's during a time of distress. It's during a time of servitude. It's during a time of difficulty. It's during a time of rebellion that God identifies himself as I am your Lord of peace. And outside of me, you see what happens. But I'm here to bring peace. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, seven being the perfect number. There's a reason it was the second bullock. I mean, when you're looking, when you're preaching on the triune, triune God, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're to take that second bullock. And that's the one you're to sacrifice. Oh, God was speaking volumes to Gideon here. That's who's about, that, that's the type here. And he built an altar. Well, he said, and, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. It says this in verse 27 that Gideon feared his father. Fortunately, he feared God more. And that's exactly what he went and did. And the children of Israel 
when they realized that the altar had been broken down and the, the Asherah poles had been cut down, the grove had been cut down, they were mad. They were upset. No wonder, no wonder they were in such turmoil. They were so much grief. Because even when they cried out to God, their hearts were not in serving Him. After He had done so much on their behalf. And we know how God called Gideon to, uh, to rally the troops. And it was like 30,000 came to Gideon's call. We're going to fight these Midianites. We're going to destroy them. We're, we're, yay, everybody, sharpen your swords and, and come a running. And Gideon, the was a pretty popular guy at that point. And cousins and nephews and all these people, they came rushing to Gideon's side because here was a judge. He was going to lead us out. And God looked at all these thousands of warriors. And God said, that's too many. You know, he, with that many, people are going to say, look what we did. They went from like 30,000 down to 300, 300. That way, nobody's going to misunderstand who's fighting this battle. No one is going to misunderstand who the true God of heaven is. And we know the story, how Gideon, with his 300, he had 100 over here and 100 over here and 100 over here, and he had these lanterns and these horns, and the, you know, the thing about a, the, the lantern, the lantern was to represent X number of soldiers. I forget exactly how many soldiers each, each soldier was to rally to. And a horn was to represent so many soldiers. And so here you had a, a hundred over here and a hundred over here and a hundred over here. And when the Midianite army and all these others that were gathered, when all of a sudden they broke those lamps and they shone and the horns blared, it petrified them. They thought that must be a gazillion out there. And so they started fighting themselves. And so by the time Gideon got down there, there was nobody to fight. See, that's the God who was on Israel's side. That is the God who made promises to his chosen people of what he would do on their behalf. What an amazing God. What a stupid people. Gideon was their judge for 40 years. Guess what happens when Gideon dies? Right back down the toilet. Same thing happened again. And what does God do? He raises up more men and women to faithfully serve him. For him to show his power and his might and his mercy through. Samson was one of them. Folks, we serve a faithful God. His mercy endures forever. And in this present dispensation of grace, God's grace, his graciousness, the offer of salvation goes out 
to a world that hates him, to a world that defies him, to a world that, that makes fun of him, who ridicules him, who ridicules his people. But just as God called them then to remain faithful and to stand faithful, he does the same thing today to the church, his body. To faithfully serve, to make your lives count for Christ. I want to be a church, a local assembly that understands that we serve a mighty God, that desires to serve this mighty God. I want to be a church that prays, that believes in the power of prayer, that believes that God listens, that I belong to Him, that we belong to Him, and there is absolutely nothing that God cannot nor or will not do through this local congregation if we faithfully say, here we are, Lord, send us. And the question this morning is, I want that for us. Do you want that for us? Lord, count me faithful. Lord, count me as your servant. Count me as your instrument of praise. Count me as the one who desires to put you first so that the world will see that you're first in my life, even if it causes me ridicule. That's what God wants from this congregation. And I pray this morning that every person here knows Christ Jesus as their Savior. You know that you've been made a new creation, that you belong to Him because you have believed that He died for you, you have believed that He was buried for you, you believe that He rose again for you. By faith you accept that salvation, that gift that He offers. You believe. And that's what God's Word tells us we need to do to be saved. And if you've never done that, oh, let me tell you, there's no reason to put it off any longer. But this very moment is the moment that you can be made that new creation and your life really begins. Eternal life is yours. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how we praise your name for your goodness and your mercy. Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. Father, we're thankful for that unique position that we have in Christ. We're thankful, Father, that, that you love us, that we belong to you and you belong to us. And that in the ages to come, we're going to be the ones to show the exceeding riches of your grace. We thank you for that high calling, Father. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted that salvation through Christ Jesus, your Son, that you offer, I pray that this will be the moment that the Holy Spirit will just convict them that will realize their need to trust you. Now, I also pray, Father, for those who know you as Savior, that as we walk out these doors, we realize that we are entering the mission field. 
Father, may we serve you. May we count it a joy to serve you. We pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.